if you had called me during the time and be like, hey, how are the pitches going? I would have said, fantastic. They're going really, really well. I feel great about this right now. And I wasn't lying. I actually believed it at the time. Um, but things weren't necessarily always going well. And I couldn't let myself believe that. Hi, and welcome to the Preboots and Sweet Podcast. My name is Eric Sillis, and I am your host. This is the 13th episode of the Preboot Cincy Podcast, and the third in our second season, a season dedicated entirely to telling the stories of Cincinnati entrepreneurs. And today we're sitting down with Blake Smith, CEO and founder of Cladwell. Blake's journey to get here has not been easy or short, but it makes for a really good story. So stay tuned. So what Cladwell is, is we are an online personal styling app. Um, and I feel like a lot of people are going, oh, I've heard this before. Um, but what's unique about it is that we actually don't sell clothing in any way, shape, or form. And the reason that we do that um, is because we believe that I don't think the world really needs another company trying to sell more clothing. In fact, if you look at the entire retail industry, it's all kind of obsessed about making sure that you buy more, which results in more clutter in your closets and in your life. And we were kind of saying, man, there's the, there's not really any companies out there that their goal is to maybe declutter or to help you have a more simple or more streamlined wardrobe or life. Um, and so that's kind of the angle that we take. So our entire job is to dress you every day from the clothes in your closet. So while the entire other industry is focused on the clothes that you don't have and trying to convince you to buy those clothes, we focus on the clothes that you do have and help you get the most out of those clothes. Yeah, so every day when you come on, and we actually we recommend, hey, here's three outfits you could wear today. Um, you actually log and you tell us what outfits you did wear. And we take that information in in terms of what types of outfits we recommend to you as well as to other people like you. So if somebody similar to you somewhere else likes things like that, over time we want to make sure that you actually maybe get some new ideas from the people around you who are similar to you. Because that's kind of how fashion works. It's a social thing. And so it's less about like the Pandora style of, well, you know, you wore this one t-shirt one day, so you're that t-shirt guy. It's not the narrowing approach. It's much more the um, discovery approach of like helping you find stuff that you love and will wear all the time. But when I asked Blake if he was going to make me trendy and stylish, he said... No, that's not really what Cladwell sets out to do. Um, what we're going to help you do is we're going to help you uh, dress like you in, in a way that is an authentic translation and representation of who you actually are. Um, and that's kind of our goal. I, I feel like the trendy and stylish thing exists. Honestly, it's a tool that marketers or uh, the retail industry uses to try to convince you to buy more stuff. And like they'll change the trend every spring or every summer, or every fall um, in order to get you to buy, feel like you're not happy with what you have so that you have to buy more. And our goal is much more to say like, no, let's just like help understand who you are help understand what that looks like and help you to dress daily in what that looks like and maybe give you new ideas to expand who you are a little bit. But um, I think that the entire system of trends is really, it's a sales technique and I don't think it's necessary for dressing in a way that is cool or interesting. Hey, honestly, if you look at it, like I don't think that mass market trends are going to be influencing the world for much longer in the way that they did in previous years. Because if you think about it, it used to be like, there's like a handful of retailers 
And these people are up, you know, men in suits up at the very top. And they're like, what will people wear this quarter or this year? Right. And they dictate across the world. And it makes sense because there was actually not the speed of communication and the speed of style was much slower then. But with the Internet and the fact that somebody can walk out of their apartment in London and somebody takes a picture of them and somebody that's posted on Instagram and then that's pinned throughout the world. And then other people like we can lead one another and influence one another directly. We don't need these men's in suits to dictate what we wear anymore because I think the Internet kind of invalidates the need for that, if that makes sense. And so I think that in some ways, like we're trying to like stay up to date with how people are actually dressing now. But I think it's just an interesting phenomenon, which is that we're beginning to see um grassroots trends happening rather than dictated from uh, on high. And I like that. I think it's way cooler and way more. The result will be a far more diverse visual landscape of the world. Everyone's going to look way more unique. And I think that's how things should be. And I prefer them to be. So for those keeping score at home, Blake's point is the macro cultural trend of corporate driven fashion trends is going away. Everyone will be able to dress in a way that is more authentically them, that suits who they are and makes sure that they dress comfortably and in their own skin. And while I love this vision of the future, it does make you wonder, what do I do when I want to buy new clothes? If there aren't these trends that I'm supposed to follow, what should my criteria be when it comes time to buy new clothes? Blake's answer makes a lot of sense. Yes, we actually have a section of our app. Um, the app is called Outfits by Cladwell. And uh, there's a section of the app where it literally says discover. It's like, what should I buy? If I'm going to buy something, what should I go and buy? Um, and what we do is we offer up based on what you already have in your closet. These are the items that are going to unlock the most new outfits for you. That It's essentially going to give you the most bang for your buck. And we rank them based on what's going to actually give you the most bang for your buck. Um, and that's like the logical way to shop. Like in an ideal world, when you walk into a store, the f first salesperson you see should say, well, can I know what you have already to make sure that this integrates into your closet well? Um, that would be good customer service. And that's what we're trying to do. Um, and what's nice is that if you act on that, um, we don't make any money. So we're not actually trying to sell you those clothes. We're just saying, hey, it looks like there's a hole in your wardrobe and like maybe you could use, you know, V-neck, you know, white V-neck T-shirt or something like that. So if you had this, you'd get a lot more outfits. You should get something like this. And then you're on your own to go actually out and buy it from whoever you wish to. So Blake and his team at Cladwell, they are truly on your side. They want you to have a closet full of clothes that you love and that you'll wear and that make you look good, but also clothes that you feel comfortable in. Honestly, the idea just makes too much sense. And so I wanted to know, where did that idea come from? I think it came from, uh, I had a career shift, and so suddenly I started dressing differently. And so a lot of times when you have those changes, you kind of relook at your closet and say, do I have the tools necessary to complete the job that I have in front of me? Um, and I didn't, and I didn't really know what to do. And so um, I called up my friend, Chris Merchick, and he, uh, he helped me in that, and he really was the inkling that has kind of become... Uh, Cladwell in a lot of ways. So it may seem at this point like Blake has the prototypical entrepreneurial story. He ran into a personal problem. He needed to look more professional to be taken seriously at his new job. And so he called on his friend Chris, who was a stylist, to help him out. But this is pretty much where the typical entrepreneurial journey may stop. Because most people would have continued the story to say, and then I realized that I could do this for everyone. And they would roll out this platform, personal stylist, to revamp your entire wardrobe to everybody on earth. 
But for Blake, this was more than just a personal experience. It was intersecting with a personal passion of his. The idea that we have a closet full of clothes, none of which we like. He wanted to solve that problem. The, the initial idea really came um, from my own desires, I'd say, which is this general thing of I wake up every morning, look at my closet and say, wow, I have way too much clothing and I have nothing to wear. That is dissatisfying. This is a problem that I think most of us can relate to. Um, and no one's solving that problem. Why is nobody solving that problem? The answer is because nobody could figure out how to make money on it. Um, and we were like, man, I feel like there's an opportunity here because this is like the average woman spends 15 minutes every morning looking at her closet and no one is trying to help her because it doesn't helping that person doesn't actually help them sell any more clothes. So no one could figure out how to make money doing this. And so I wanted to know, did Blake just think this was an idea like, Hey, wouldn't it be cool if, or did he think there was an actual business that could make real money? It was, it was a business in my mind the moment the idea came. It was like, wow, that'd be a good business, right? So like, that was like, I think it was like synonymous. It was a business. It wasn't, like an, it wasn't just a thing that should exist. It was like a business that should exist. Um, so I guess it was a thing. Um, so I, I'd say it's kind of hard to say, like, all of a sudden we realized this was a business idea. It was like, no, this was a business idea from the get-go. Um, and so Blake did what he does with all of his ideas. He turned to his old friend, Microsoft Excel. It was, I had a list, an Excel spreadsheet with a bunch of different business ideas on it. And so I put it on the list um, of like, oh yeah, I've got a bunch of these different ideas. Some of them were stupid and funny and others are, I thought, cool. Um, and I still keep a list. And like, uh, yeah. And so I, I kind of circled back. I talked to my friend Chris about it. And we actually, we built a couple spreadsheets on it. Um, not as much financial spreadsheets, but spreadsheets of like, how could you coach somebody through building an interchangeable wardrobe? And like, what is a system? And like essentially taking his insight and trying to make it um, algorithmic. And so we messed around with it a little bit on weekends and then it kind of snoozed for like a year after that. I think we were just kind of sitting on it and I was working. Um, oh yeah. Remember that job that sparked this whole thing? Blake was still working there and he was actually really enjoying it. So about a year and a half passed until something happened. Well, actually two things happened. Came about one um, is we had, uh, my wife and I had our first child, um, uh, my son Everett, who's now five. And when he was born, um, everybody talks about how like when you have kids, like you get way more conservative. Um, that was the opposite for me. It was, I got way more aggressive and I was like, okay, it's go time. I need to, I need to build something. I need to do something. And like, I felt like I'm uh, much more of like a need to um, create a world that I could bring him up into a world that I thought was a good and better world, if that makes sense. Having their first kid also gave Blake and his wife a unique opportunity, an opportunity to learn. Because suddenly I found myself at home at seven o'clock. It was bedtime. And so what do you do? And so my wife and I read a ton uh, about, I guess, like rich dad, poor dad and like entrepreneurship books. And so we like read I would read out loud to her while she was like nursing uh, Everett or like uh, we were just kind of hanging out. And so we, we burned through books that fall. And I think that was like, it started sparking a lot of thoughts. Um, so that was kind of number one. So we started kind of getting that itch a little bit. Um, two was there were some changes in the work that I was going through. And one of the executives ended up leaving the company. Um, he was the one that I worked for directly the most um, and actually uh, started a separate company. And so suddenly I had a decision in front of me. Like, did I want to leave with him and go and do that? Um, or did I want to stay where I was at and continue doing what I was doing? And for Blake, this was actually a really good opportunity. It was the first time that he had what they like to call 
leverage. Um, and I would say in some ways, I would say that was maybe the first time in my career that I ever had leverage, right? Because I could essentially, if I wanted, the thought was like, man, I could bid these two against each other. And in that one instance of leverage, I'm like, actually, I think I'm going to start my own company, which is like the worst idea. Literally, like it is, that was not, I did not play those cards well at all. It's like I had a full house and I folded. <laughs> um, and so Blake called up an old friend, an old coworker, actually, who he had been talking about this before. And they both felt like they had what they just were calling the itch. And then Blake called upon another old friend. You may remember him his Microsoft Excel spreadsheet. And so he was feeling a lot of the same things. And so we, um, on business trips, we talk about it together and like we'd go on walks and like talk about like the idea of being an entrepreneur. And we kind of, I think in some ways romanticize the concept of being an entrepreneur. And so we were encouraging each other a lot in that. Um, so he took the move first and he actually, he left and said he wanted to do his own thing. And I, within a week did the same thing. Um, and so uh, we met up, you know, a week or two after we both quit and said, hey, like, do you want to talk about this some more? And so we went on a trip together up to Michigan and we I brought out my spreadsheet. He brought out his spreadsheet of the list of all the different businesses. And uh, we started discussing, like, do we want to try to do one of these together? So we did that exercise with like literally 20, 25 businesses um, and we kind of ranked them and we like talked about it. We prayed about it. We talked with our spouses about it. Um, and then we chose together, uh, to do Cladwell. So it's weird that we chose to be entrepreneurs before we chose Cladwell, um, which is kind of a weird, it's a little bit backwards. And so whenever I have to tell this story, sometimes I like, feel like I like, you almost have to rewrite history a little bit to merge it into like, it was Cladwell all along. But the true story for Blake is the idea of being an entrepreneur, at least in the beginning was the thing that drove him more than anything. However, that didn't last long as Blake soon found out. The glamour of entrepreneurship fades fast. It's a business idea, and that was kind of the thing. And I'd say that gets you a little bit far enough until you kind of hit adversity, and then suddenly it's like, is this just a business, or does this have to be, like, I think I need this to be more meaningful. And that's actually when I think it went from, like, ah, we can game the system to, like, all of a sudden, like, wait, is there something good we can do that has lasting value? Because, like, there are way easier ways to make money in this world than starting a business. Like, so many better ways. Um, but... In terms of meaning, that's what keeps you to stick around, I think, a little bit. And this was really important for Blake because he was going to run into his fair share of adversity trying to launch this business. And we're going to find out a little bit more about that in a minute. But before we do that, we want to take a break for a new segment, a segment we're calling Garage Stories. For years, the garage has been the center of the American entrepreneurial story. It's the place where dreams are turned into reality, where the first prototypes are made, where the first inventory is stocked. And it's a place of late nights and early mornings. And it's also the place where Braxton Brewing Company got their start. Brewing beer in the garage, just because they loved it. And Braxton wants to celebrate these entrepreneurs. So much so that right in the middle of their taproom, they put a giant garage door. And behind that garage door is a co-working space where you will find entrepreneurs working hard to turn their dream into a reality. Entrepreneurs like Regina and Megan. Hi, I'm Regina. And I'm Megan. And we are Smartfish. We design and produce footwear right here in Cincinnati, Ohio. We source all of our materials sustainably, locally, and even upcycle materials out of the waste stream and turn them into beautiful and useful products wherever we can. 
Regina and Megan are both graduates of the DAP program at the University of Cincinnati. Regina in industrial design and Megan in fashion. And they actually got their introduction into making shoes by working for the previous owner of Smartfish, Alicia. But when Alicia decided it was time to move on to something else, Regina and Megan decided they wanted to take this on themselves. But Regina had kind of relaunched the brand, I guess kind of taking Alicia's initial idea and expanding on it, I guess at the beginning of this year, mm-hmm. right? And 2017 so far has been focused on kind of a soft launch for us. We're doing our summer sandals. They were a, more or less the most successful item Smartfish ever did. It's what people remember when they remember Smartfish. So it was a good place to relaunch for us. Regina grew up in an environment and a culture where entrepreneurship was the norm. So for her, deciding to launch this business felt like the most natural step. So growing up, I kind of always knew that that was my destiny, more or less, was to be independent and run my own thing. And I wasn't exactly attached to any particular way of doing that. I just knew I wanted to be independent and I wanted to work with my hands. And it was actually working with their hands that attracted both Regina and Megan to this idea. Interacting with a handmade product, using a handmade product in your life, it's just kind of an exercise in consciousness, which I think is behind a lot of our brand ethos, kind of. It's just kind of like a different awareness. That is Regina and Megan of Smartfish. If you'd like to purchase your own shoes, you can do that at smarterthanagoldfish.com. Or if you'd like to try them on first, you can find them at almost any flea or fair around the city this summer. Braxton Brewing Company. Lift one to life. And now, back to the show. Most entrepreneurship stories don't start with having a kid. That's because starting a business is risky. And it's hard. And it often means going without a paycheck. And having a kid is also really hard. And it can be pretty expensive. So those two things don't intersect that well, typically. But for Blake, this was his new reality. He had a new baby and a new business and a lot to try to balance. So we were dual income. Uh, My wife and I both had jobs. And then we go from, we have our son. And so she begins working from home a little bit, but really like kind of reduced her income pretty greatly. And so we were suddenly more like single income. And then within, I guess within nine months of that, decided to start Cladwell. Um, or, um, and so we went to zero in- income at all. And then within that year, um, ended up hiring uh, and paying for uh, our friend uh, to come and work for the business and his family with his wife, who was nine months pregnant. So suddenly we went from dual income, no kids, to no income, one kid plus another family with their kid. And so we're two families running off of savings, if that makes sense. And we're just watching our savings just just like totally take a nosedive. Um, and that was uh, a little scary for sure. Um, not That's way understating it. It was really difficult. Um, and I think it kind of snapped something with my wife and I's our, our relationship with money. We became vegetarians to save money. Um, so we stopped eating meat. Um, we lost, both of us lost like 20 pounds, um, not as much out of what we were eating, but honestly just out of pure fear. And our date nights turned into like, we'd split a Chipotle burrito and then go on a walk. And it was good. Three bucks person, it was solid. And like, we were still happy in that. Um, but it was scary. It was really scary. And even though Blake and his wife did their best to enjoy sharing a burrito, at the end of the day, they needed to stop the bleeding. Blake needed to be making at least a little bit of income 
to help support his family during this time. And so he picked up a side job doing sales for a local company. Yeah, so we, uh, I did some work for a company called Epifio here in town. Um, and so they needed uh, some help on sales. And so it was great. I did some sales consulting. It was about 10 hours a week. I did most of it on Saturdays. Um, and so uh, that helped a lot in terms of stopping the bleeding, watching it, uh, watching the money go down before we'd raised any money. It was something he could work a few hours a week, nights and weekends, so that he could help support his family without having to give up the dream of launching Cladwell. And eventually they were able to raise some money. And it all started with a friends and family that was pretty successful. And that was really enough to stop the bleeding. It was enough to support the business so they could commit full time to launching Cladwell. However, it did come with a couple trade-offs, mainly like awkward family get-togethers. After about a year, we raised about $290,000 from friends and family. So, yeah. It's a huge friends and family. (laughs) Um, It was a lot of individuals. I mean, the average check size was probably 10 grand. And so it was a lot of people, um, and it was really my friends and family and Tim's friends and family and like his grandma and like my dad and like, uh, literally it's like Thanksgiving dinner people. Um, and it made Thanksgiving dinner really awkward. It still does to some extent. Right. Cause like they're investors now in your business and like, you really don't want to let them down. And that's really difficult, but also what a gift like to have those people. And honestly, it wasn't like we knew what we were doing. We were completely off in terms of our projections. We, um, I don't know. I'm not sure we were, but I think that they just believed in us as individuals. Um, and that was really cool. So once you got the money mm-hmm. and you were able to start building the app, was it successful? Did it just take off like you wanted it to? No, no, we went, uh, we chose the wrong business model and we stuck to it for a year and a half, maybe two years. Did you know it right away? No. Um, we had people tell us right away and we I didn't listen to them for sure. I tried to fight it. Um, You may recall at the beginning of this episode that Blake said that the only reason that other people weren't doing this business is that no one knew how to make money off of it. And as it turns out, a year and a half into running Cladwell, Blake didn't really know how to make money on it either. The business model just didn't work. Specifically, it was we were trying to sell clothing in the context of minimalism, which is weird. And like just saying it out loud, you're like, of course, that wasn't going to work. And it didn't. Um, and we were using uh, affiliates. So it was uh, essentially like you'd click on a link and then we get like somewhere between two and eight percent. And that doesn't work really well um, on the scale that we were at. And so a year and a half into the business, Blake and his team decided they wanted to give it one more shot. So they invested everything they had in a new technology that they thought was going to make all the difference. What was it? Maybe one hundred thousand uh, dollars and four months to this one project that was going to like change everything. And within 24 hours, we knew uh, it wasn't, it didn't make the impact that we hoped. In fact, it went way worse. And so uh, specifically, yes, we uh, were within six weeks of running out of money. And so, um, and we realized like we had bet everything on this technology that we were trying to implement. And within 24 hours, we're like, oh shoot, we made a big mistake. And if that wasn't enough to make matters worse, Blake's wife was pregnant six weeks away from having their third kid, the same six weeks that Cladwell had left until it ran out of money. It was an intense period and a little dark, honestly, like from a personal standpoint. And it like, um, in some ways, I think almost had to like accept the fact that this may not work out. Um, 
And that was like a really big hurdle for me. Um, and so Blake and his team did the only thing they could do. They had to find a way to survive. Um, that was when we kind of as a team had to come together and say, well, what's reality? What do we know? What can we try? And it was real messy. Um, but that's when we started kind of iterating and maybe frankly, in some ways, I think we're humble enough to listen to the market rather than trying to just tell the market. And that was definitely, I think, um, that was a learning for me in that process. And so they decided they weren't going to go down without a fight. They actually laid out 22 different business models and they were changing things every day, often multiple times a day to try to see if they could find anything that might work. And eventually they found something that at least gave them a glimmer of hope. We ended up seeing like we went from essentially making nothing to making something and took that back to investors and kind of packaged it with our thesis of like, hey, I think there's something here. We need a little more time. Um, and they gave us three months. We took that uh, three months and we were able to grow our revenue some more. And they're like, OK, there seems to be something here. We're starting to sustain ourselves a little bit. And the magic formula that finally cracked the code for Cladwell is actually returning back to the passion that they had in the very beginning. Blake wanted to create a way for people to look into their closet and love everything they own and actually wear everything they own. Blake and his team realized they weren't in the business of trying to sell clothing, but rather they were providing a service, software as a service, as it's called. They could charge a small monthly fee and give suggestions on what you should wear. And if you're going to buy new clothes, what you should buy. And if you're not wearing some of your clothes, what you should get rid of. It was everything that Blake laid out for us at the beginning of this episode. And it's everything that he set out to create from the very beginning. And up until this point, Cladwell had been a service exclusively for men. Despite the fact that women had been begging to get their hands on this service. So they finally made the switch. I'd say found the thing that really worked was that we launched um, our uh, website for women. And that really, that was a big moment. Also, that was when we hired... Um, Erin Flynn, she started uh, working uh, on the marketing side. Um, she's now our CMO and really is like, I mean, she's like the center of this company in so many different ways. But she she led us through that process of launching for women. Um, she ran a fashion blogger network before, so she's really familiar with the space and she can speak for our customer really well. Um, and so I'd say that she led us through that and we started seeing real growth. Then she, I would say she and um, I guess her team, mostly just her at the time, really optimized growth from a marketing standpoint. We started spending some advertising. We started to see real growth, enough that we started to see a really pretty chart. And after all this growth, Blake and his team got some really good news. They got accepted into 500 startups, one of the top accelerators in the nation, which was that Blake had some really big news for his family and that they needed to start packing immediately. I come home from work and I tell my wife, I'm like, hey, we got into 500 startups and we need to be in Silicon Valley in two weeks starting. And I think we need to be there for six months. And my wife in like standard, like this is how she is. She goes, all right, sounds good. I'm like that was it. And we were doing it. And so um, we rented out our place here in Cincinnati uh, to like short term rentals for the summer to some interns and then um, packed up, moved, found a place to live in uh, like a block from 500 startups. Um, and so wait, just like that, the wife's on board, the family's moved and Blake's in one of the top accelerators in the nation. Honestly, it seems too good to be true. Almost like it was a script from a movie or a fairy tale. It just didn't seem like it was reality. 
But pretty soon, reality set in. There was definitely a weird point where the first two weeks was super intense in the accelerator side. Classes, 10 hours a day, and then you're out at night with all the people in your cohort out staying till midnight. And I am like, I have found my people, right? Like these are like the, the I've, I've realized I wasn't that special, that actually there are tons of people just like me from all different walks of life and like representative of the globe and meeting people I'd never met before. And it was amazing. And like I would get home and I couldn't sleep. I was so energized. And my wife is at home with the kids in a city that she's never been in before um, without a car at the time, stranded. <laughs> and like, and so the best point of the trip for me was like, I was like, just, I was loving it. And that was the worst point of the trip for her. And we never had that dynamic in our marriage before where my, I'm having the best day and she's having the worst day. And that was really hard. And the Martian, you know, like when all of a sudden he like stops and he goes, I will not die here. She had one of those moments about a week in and she's just like, I will not die here. And then she immediately like made a turn and said, I'm going to start making good days. And so she started blogging a ton and wrote a ton all through the summer, made friends, went outside. We paid a lot of money to have our car shipped out there so that we could have a car. She could go on day trips. And uh, she really just kind of chose, we're going to have a good time. This is an adventure. Um, and she, I'd say I give her credit to like, she pulled it out of there. Um, so it was definitely, it was a testing time, but an amazing time. It was really sweet for our family. And I feel like I was a little worried going out to Silicon Valley that I was going to like get caught up in the rat race and forsake my family and all this different stuff. And it couldn't be further from the truth. I fell in love with them while I was out there with my family because they were like my people. And um, we came back stronger and that was awesome. And the time in San Francisco wasn't just good for Blake and his family. It was also really good for Cladwell. Accelerators do just that. They accelerate your growth. And so Blake and his team at Cladwell saw a lot of growth and development during this time. But maybe more importantly, Blake actually decided he should stay out in Silicon Valley for a little bit longer and try to raise a little bit more money before he came home to Cincinnati. Through the fall, stayed out in California, uh, pitched 150 investors in about a three-month period. So I was averaging like three or four pitches a day. Um, got 146 no's in a row. I cannot imagine going O for 146 in anything. And still having the drive and the motivation and honestly the self-confidence to keep moving forward. It had to be incredibly painful. Uh, how would I describe it? It was, it's emotional. It has to be emotional, right? And, and it's not just no like, oh, we're not interested in investing. It's no. And here's why. Because I don't think that you can do this, right? And like it's like very personal and it hurts. Um, but uh, you have to keep going. You have to because otherwise there won't be a business. And so Blake turned to the only coping mechanism he could to get through, which was detaching himself from reality. If you had called me during the time, and be like, hey, how are the pitches going? I would have said, fantastic. They're going really, really well. I feel great about this right now. And I wasn't lying. I actually believed it at the time. Um, but things weren't necessarily always going well. And I couldn't let myself believe that at the time because I, otherwise I wouldn't have been able to keep going forward. And so there's this weird kind of like disconnect that you kind of have to get yourself into, um, which is strange and maybe not healthy. I'm sure that we've all been told that we shouldn't bottle up our emotions because one day when we least expect it, they'll just come rushing out all at once. And so one sunny afternoon that finally happened for Blake, all those emotions came bubbling up to the surface and Blake couldn't control himself. I was on a jog 
uh, running home one day, and all of a sudden I started thinking about all those no's that I got. And all of a sudden I noticed like myself starting to like cry. And I'm like, what is going on right now? Something is not right in my world. And that like, I realized like I had just shoved down all that rejection and everything because it's hard and like you just can't handle it. You have to compartmentalize it. Um, and so it was really weird and it kind of took a little bit of unpacking. It took a little bit of time to get to a spot of like maybe normalcy again. Um, but uh, yeah, it's tough. It's really tough. As we've already said, Blake had to endure his fair share of hardship trying to launch this business. There were lots of ups and lots of downs, long days and late nights. But as I talked with Blake, something really struck me. Blake seems to have a naturally upbeat tone about him. He speaks fairly fast and he has a lot of pep and energy and excitement in his voice. But as Blake was telling these stories, it felt like his tone didn't match the severity of the situation that he was explaining. Almost as if he was just brushing it off, like it wasn't a big deal, or like it really wasn't that hard. But the reality is, it was. And I think in this, we get a really great insight into what makes Blake unique. It's not that these things were easy, or that they weren't difficult. But rather, that Blake learned how to embrace that challenge. He learned how to revel in it, dare I say even enjoy it at times. And I think this is the thing that allowed Blake to succeed in launching Cladwell. And I also think it's because he knew that on the other side of that adversity, he was going to come out a stronger person. And so there's some angle that I think this time I was able to kind of position myself into of almost enjoying it. And like in the same way that like during that period, I took um, whenever I would shower in the morning, I would shower in ice cold water. And literally I would do it and I'd be like, and I would repeat to myself, I do hard things of like, and there's something about like, if you can revel in it and just be like, you know what, let's do this thing, right? This is crazy. This is really, really hard. And like, but like, if you almost can enjoy it in the same way that you'd enjoy like a hard workout, right? Like remember like if you did high school sports or anything like that, you're like, this is so hard, but you kind of enjoy it a little bit. And if you can like embrace and enjoy the challenge, it's a little easier. And it's a really good thing that Blake learned how to persevere through this because after 146 straight no's from investors, he finally got a yes. And then he got a couple more until they were fully funded. Um, and so came back to Cincinnati. Now we're spending that round of funding, uh, which is good. Uh, it goes about three times further here than it does in California. Um, yeah, and so I think that really positioned us well to launch the app that I kind of described at the beginning, uh, which is this daily outfit recommendations based on the clothes in your closet. Um, we launched that, and now, I mean, we're seeing incredible engagement on it. I'm so incredibly proud of, like, what we've built, and I'm even more proud that I'm not the one who really built it or even defined it. Like, I really is the team that we've got together. It's, like, killing it. And, like, um, I had no idea the amount of detail that went into building an app like in the amount of work that really, really like I had no idea um, what this looked like and just watching it. I'm like in awe and it's really fun to be able to see our team going and doing this. Um, so, yeah, at this point we're we're in we I'd say we have achieved and are in the middle of product market fit. And so now it's scaling time. So everything that led up to this, the months of not being sure how they were going to make ends meet and having to cut back on their living expenses, the trip out to Silicon Valley to pitch investors, the hard time with his wife, growing through that together as a family, 
and having to deal with all the rejection that came with pitching VCs. It's all been worth it. The future is bright for Cladwell. And that pretty much will do it for this episode. But before we go, I always like to ask every entrepreneur the same thing. What is one piece of advice that you would have for aspiring entrepreneurs? Or if you had to do it all over again, what might you do differently? And for Blake, the biggest lesson he's learned doesn't have that much to do with business. Rather, it has everything to do with people and how to love people well. How to put entrepreneurship in its proper place. And the best way Blake can summarize this is actually in a quote. A quote from a musical. The musical Les Mis. Because at the end of his life, Blake doesn't want to be remembered for being a successful entrepreneur. He wants to be remembered for loving people well. And so I uh, honestly took action on that. And so I literally have like a necklace that I wear every day. Um, it's the last line of Les Miserables that says, to love another person is to see the face of God. And for me, that was the culmination of the concept of like what I'm really, if I'm going to measure my life by something, it needs to be by the, the depth of which I love a small group of people. And that's what really, really, really matters. And yeah, I love entrepreneurship and I love this stuff and this is fun. But at the end of the day, it's not what it's about. And I had to, I had to let go of that thing in order for to sleep and to like, you know, to be okay, if that makes sense. I think up until that point, I was striving to prove my existence or to validate my existence or something like that. And then I had to kind of let go of that thing and just be like, okay, what really matters is these things. And these things are actually not affected or touched by the business unless I let them. Um, and so, but those things, like the, the individuals that I love, those things are what really, really, really matters. And this other stuff is stuff that I'm made to do and it's fun and I'll keep on going at it. And like, sometimes I'll win, sometimes I'll lose and that's okay. And in the next episode of the Preboots and C podcast, we're going to talk with Lawrence Jones, founder and CEO of Just Hire Me. And honestly, we can probably trace Lawrence's passion to start his business back to when he was a teenager. And his perseverance to actually launch his business may be unparalleled. And we're going to have a clip from that episode in just a minute. But if you want to make sure that you don't miss that episode, the best thing you can do is hit subscribe on whatever platform you like to listen to podcasts. Maybe like the one you're listening to right now. Just click the little subscribe button. It's that easy. And if you enjoyed this episode, I ask that you would consider sharing it. And if you wonder, well, what's in it for me? I'm glad you asked. Because my friend Doug Burns at the Rivertown Inquiry has generously said that he would give away one of his Since He Is For Dreamer shirts for every episode this season. All you have to do is share a link to this episode using the hashtag Since He Is For Dreamers. Again, that's hashtag Since He Is For Dreamers. And go ahead and tag at Preboot Podcast on either Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter in that post just to make sure that I don't miss it. That way, your name will be entered into the drawing to win one of the Sincius for Dreamer shirts from Doug Burns and the Rivertown Inquiry. And while you're at it, feel free to check out all the other awesome stuff that Doug has at his shop at therivertowninquiry.com. Thanks again, Doug, for supporting this podcast and all the amazing entrepreneurs in Cincinnati. And now, a clip from the next episode. Um, you know, I've, I've got a few options. Uh, like you said, I can, I can cry about it, I can quit, or you know, I can do something about it. And I chose to do something about it. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, you know, I get bothered from time to time. You know, it's frustrating. Uh, I mean, a, a couple days ago, I was like, you know, I'm about to just throw in the towel. I mean, oh my goodness, 
it's just like the roughest day ever. I can't get anything that I need to get accomplished or to go my way. And I talked to some, you know, some of my supporters and, you know, my encouragers. And um, the next day was like the best day ever. 